Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. So we're in Mark chapter 5, and there's a book that I read not too long ago by Billy Hallowell. It's called Playing with Fire. I don't know how many of you have read it. Uh, Billy Hallowell is an investigative journalist. He'll admit, even though he's a Christian, he'll admit that there are times where he's a little bit skeptical of reports that are out there about the supernatural. And so what he did is he decided to go into places where there are reports of the demonic that have been at work to see if there's any way to corroborate these stories. One, just to get the details of the stories, but second, is there a way of corroborating these things? Or are these basically just huge made-up fictions that people want to throw out there that are trying to dupe people into belief that these things are real? And he said, I think I have kind of a healthy skepticism about these things, even though he does believe in Jesus. He just doesn't believe every report that's out there. And by the way, I would encourage you to take the exact same approach. I mean, C.S. Lewis once said, when it comes to the, the realm of the demonic, there are two major concerns that we need to be aware of. One is that we make everything about it. He's like, and we don't need to do that. But the other is, is that we make nothing about it at all. And he says, and we don't want to do that either. And the reason is, and I think especially in the West, we've basically trained ourselves to not see this stuff anymore. There's always another explanation. And while sometimes there are good explanations for things that happen, we have blocked off the possibility that maybe there's something else that might be at work. The forces, as scripture says, the forces of darkness. I want to share a little bit with you about some things that Billy Hallowell ran into as he was doing his research for playing with fire. I'm going to basically share with you two stories. Here's one. He said, uh, he went up to Indiana. He was in Gary, Indiana. And he said, as he was in a meeting with a family, one of the things that they said was in describing one of their children, he walked up the wall, he he flipped over, and he stood there. Now hold that in your mind's eye. He said, and if that's not strange enough, another eyewitness description proclaimed that the little boy from Indiana glided backward on the floor and the wall and the ceiling. In other words, like Michael Jackson. Billy Hallowell said, I remember reading those words in a strange state of shock and wonder. You probably would feel the same way. I mean, how in the world did a little boy allegedly walk up a wall, I wondered. And why was a mainstream outlet like the Indianapolis Star even caring to report a story like this? Here's what he said. He said, I had a slew of immediate questions about the 2014 story that had come out of Gary, Indiana, about the so-called demon house that was filled with terrifying tales. But the claim about the little boy walking up the ball was hands down the most offbeat detail amid the plethora of strange phenomena surrounding Latoya Ammons and her family. Do I have y'all in with me yet? Former indie star uh, journalist Marissa Kwiatkowski And I'm sorry, we have somebody signing for me. And she had to just sign Kwiatkowski. She opened her now famous 2014 article on the Ammons case titled The Exorcisms of Latoya Ammons by reporting that Ammons and her three children claimed to be possessed by demons. The lead was anything but buried as there were many elements that boldly distinguished the story from other paranormal claims. Among the intriguing facets was a series of prominent people. This, in other words, it wasn't just a mom and a kid saying, we got some weird stuff going on. And you have a lot of people that were watching these things going on, including 
a family case manager from Child Protective Services, um, a nurse that had been assigned to attend the case, and veteran police captains, that is plural, who all seemed to corroborate various pieces of this bizarre puzzle. So what exactly unfolded in the Emmons house in Gary, Indiana? I'm glad you asked. According to their own media account, Ammons said she and her family began experiencing strange phenomena just one month after moving into a rental home. And the moral of the story and the point of the sermon today is don't rent a home. <laughs> Let's pray. In, in December of 2011, they were reporting large black flies uh, started swarming the family's porch coming back again even after she said that she had killed them. Ammons and her mother, Rosa Campbell, told the Indy Star that they also started hearing footsteps coming up from the basement every night, and that it sounded as though the door was opening and closing throughout the night. By March of 2012, just four months after moving into the home, the strangeness, strangeness kicked up a notch. Campbell told Kwiatkowski about a night when the family found one of Ammons' children unconscious and levitating in their room. Overwhelmed by the events unfolding in the home, the family sought the help of local churches. By the way, good place to go. And Ammons and Campbell reportedly told Kwiatkowski that the kid, looking at the kid, the kid's eyes would bulge, evil smile would go across the face, voices seemed uh, deepened every time something like this would happen. Additionally, the seven-year-old reportedly spoke to another child to whom no one else could see that was in the room. Ammon soon turned to her children's doctor for help. Her, bizarre uh, her kid's bizarre behavior while in the doctor's office teamed with the family's claims of paranormal activity led medical professionals to call emergency services. Quote, 20 years and I've never heard anything like this in my life, Dr. Jeff, uh, the doctor said. This was the physician that was involved in the case. I was scared myself when I just walked in the room and saw the child. An official report details what some medical professionals claim to have witnessed. The document reads, at least in part, quote, medical staff reported that while the children were at their primary doctor's office, the medical staff reported that they observed one of the children literally being lifted up and thrown into the wall, even though they could not see anyone that was actually touching the child. Is this not the best introduction to a sermon you've ever heard? <laughs> Still, not everyone was convinced something supernatural was actually at play. Now, you knew that would happen, right? Uh, in, in the midst of all the chaos, a skeptical individual reportedly called the Department of, of, of Child Protective Services, and they issued a complaint, which sparked an investigation into Ammons' mental state, the mom. Uh, and an evaluation by a hospital uh, psychologist found that, quote, there were no concerns about her mental stability. That's when De the Department of Child Services case manager, Valerie Washington, entered the picture and reportedly saw much of the bizarre behavior herself. Washington's own account of her interaction with the family included seeing the seven-year-old boy's eyes roll back in his head, watching him growl like an animal. And this brings us, Hallowell said, to the pivotal point in the story. <laughs> I kind of thought there were a number of pivotal points already, but, you know. This brings us to the pivotal point in the story. That's the claim that the boy walked up a wall. All right, now let's know that. How many of you would, maybe at least at a safe distance, like to watch that? Because as I read it, I thought, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be too close to it, but it'd be kind of fun to look at. 
So here's where we're at. Um, this was an account that was backed by Willie Lee Walker. This was the registered nurse who was in the room. She says the following, uh, says the following about the encounter with the family, and I quote, the child became aggressive and walked up the wall as if he was walking on the floor. Literally step, 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 step up the wall and did a flip over his grandmother. The episode was witnessed not just by the family, but also by the counselor and the uh, child protective services worker, as well as others. So you have multiple people that are in the room. Now here's what Hallowell went on to say. This is a strange line to include in a government documentation, but it's an account Walker later confirmed, telling the reporter that the boy walked up the wall, flipped over, and then stood there. And then they said, after having watched it, there's no way he could have done that. Washington later indicated that the situation profoundly impacted her. I, yeah? <laughs> yeah? How'd you feel about that? Uh, it's just another day. Probably not. It profoundly impacted her. She, and, and I quote, it's taken me a while, a while to move past that, she said of the claim seeing the boy walk up the wall. I believe that it was something going on out there that was in the realm of what is not a part of a normal living person. And that's only the tip of the iceberg. Because when you get into playing with fire, here's what he said. He said, I talked to the sheriff who was involved in the case. I spoke with the priest who handled the case fully, expecting them to say, don't worry about it. There's an explanation for this. The problem was is that they were all backing up the same details of what they witnessed when they were in the home. And he said, I would also add that the child, the child services worker who filed the report of what she saw in the home went on to leave her job, move out of the state, because she was so impacted by what she witnessed in the house. Now, why do I give you that story? It's because as you look in Mark chapter 5, it shows that there are reports of things that are happening now that are congruent with things that we see in the Word of God that were happening long ago. That there are forces of darkness that are at work in and around us, and they have a tremendous impact on the lives of people. And eventually what we have to do is we have to let the scales fall from our eyes so that we can see how they're at work and honestly just to see that they are at work around us. It's so that you can know that there is an enemy that is out there that doesn't mean your good and your blessing, isn't here to love you and to care for you, but instead quite the opposite, not here to make you afraid today, we're here to make you aware today of this reality. And that's why we're looking at Mark chapter 5. And let me begin reading in verse, verse 1. So it says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For he had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him 
out of the area. Well, I started with something from a book called Playing With Fire that on the face of it, many of you would say, that just seems to be a pretty incredible story. But here we are in Mark chapter 5, and as we read just the beginnings of this narrative, we would probably say, that seems to be a pretty incredible story. Is that fair? Now, in this narrative, there's a New Testament scholar named William Lane, and he said, when it comes to the place of where all of this was going down, it was probably in modern-day Cursa or Corsi. Now, just so you know, uh, Cursa is at shore level, and there are no tombs that are there. However, if you go just down the way, think like a mile or so down the way, uh, you would find that there are caverns that are out there. And so you would see a shoreline and then a little bit of a lift, and there are caverns that are there. William Lane was saying this is probably where this man was coming from. So in the day, maybe he's circulating among the people, and then at night, he's going back because the caverns is the only place that he has to stay. You got to admit, watching this guy, if he's bound up by his wrist and he's bound up by his legs, and boom, he's just popping that off like it's nothing, you would probably agree with me that that would be an impressive thing to see. Fair enough? My guess is if this isn't something that this guy wanted to have to witness or for people to witness. To be fair, most activities of of demons do not reach this level. They don't. Most of their activities actually happen on a completely different level. They want to create strongholds in your soul. They want to bind you up spiritually. They want to hold you back. It's like C.S. Lewis said, most of the way that they work is without signposts so that you can't see that they're at work, that they're the ones that are holding you back, and it's a slow and gradual road to hell, and then you're there and you never saw it coming. That's most of the way that they work. However, if you take Scripture seriously, you can't rule out the possibility that these things are still happening. That's what this narrative is indicating. So if we were to say there's a scale of demonic activity, let's say a one would be where a demon is having a mosquito bite you, All right, I just made that up, right? So that's a one, and a 10 might be this guy. They work in gradations. But did you notice in Mark chapter five, it says that the root of this man's problem was an unclean spirit. Notice with this, nobody that's around this man actually sees the unclean spirit. What they see is the man's behavior. They're probably just trying to figure out what's going on in this guy's life. Most of the people that are around him are probably saying he's insane. You can see the reaction of the people around him because they were trying to bind him up in chains. And just so you know, they weren't doing this to say, we've got to do something to help this guy out. They were doing it because they were scared to death of this guy because he was circulating among them. So they took the measures that they thought were needed in order to keep him from harming them, but not much that they could do about him harming himself. So when he sees Jesus, notice what he does. He runs to him. So here you have a man that is afflicted with demons, and at the sight of the Lord, he runs to him. That, I've got to admit, is something that caught me off guard as I was reading back through this passage. I mean, the reaction of the demons that are inside of him, they shriek with a loud voice. Now, why do that? Well, some would say that it's like a defensive posture, right? You see someone that has an authority over you, and so in an effort to claim authority back over, it's like, I'm going to scream at you, like roar like a lion, maybe to instill some fear in Jesus. It's just not what happened. In fact, when they see him, they refer to him as God. It's not like the demons are unaware of who he is. 
They know. Which says something really important to us today. It is simply not enough for you to say, I believe. They believe. They're not wondering who Jesus is. They just won't allow him to take the rightful place over their life. They won't. Now, in that day, when you talk about a person's name, they believe that using the name of your enemy gave you mastery over them. So they call out the name of Jesus. Did you catch Jesus' response? Yeah, what's your name? What's your name? He says, oh, our name is Legion. You see, hear how much the demon had control over this man. We are many, and we have taken over this space. Now, the demon, just so you know, the demon might have used the name to invoke fear of a powerful name. It's almost like, I was thinking about the Lion King this week when I was rereading this, you know? It's like the hyenas in the Lion King when they said Mufasa's name. Y'all know what I'm talking about here? There's that part, and they say, Mufasa, and they go, oh, and they shiver, and they go, do it again. Almost like that. It's like there was a power in the name. Maybe there's something like that. I want you to hear the power in our name. We are legion. That's one possibility. But did you notice in this narrative, it says that the man is the one that walks up to Jesus. So another possibility here on why this guy is shrieking out is he may be, have been so impaired, he have, may have been so worn down, so beat up, that he was begging for an act of compassion for somebody to help him out. Would somebody please help by the way, nobody else around this man had done that. They had just tried to secure him for their own good. We got to keep this nut away from us. And he says, please, would somebody do something? And it shows us some, something about Jesus. Even in all the mess, even in all the mess, you see, see, you see Jesus' authority over these demons. And as a result, you see the next part of the story. It happens in verse 11. It says, a large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, which numbered to about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and they were drowned. Now you have to admit, if you're here, that would be a pretty crazy thing to see. Not like one or two pigs, but to see 2,000 of them Flying out, right? Uh, now, on the one hand, for those of you that have ever had a farm, you know how much damage pigs can do to your farm, right? So farmers are sitting there going, and good riddance, right? Because all they do is rip the place up. I can't even tend the ground. The problem is, is that these pigs were actually the means of living for these people in this area. That's the problem. And they asked Jesus for permission. You see his authority over them. Hey, if you're going to cast us out of this guy, at least let us go into the pigs. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's fine. You can go into the pigs. I mean, after all, if they couldn't stay in the man, they at least could stay in the area. And if they can stay in the area, then they can keep causing the chaos and the strongholds that they've had over the area. And unclean pigs would be a natural place for an unclean spirit, just like they were before with an unclean man. We got, we got a space that we can go, so send us over there. So this New Testament scholar named Alan Ross, he says the pigs ran into the sea. Why is that important? Well, two things. One, they literally ran into water. But to these people, the sea is what represented chaos. So here you have demons 
which are the picture of creating chaos for everybody being sent into chaos where they belong. Now, to be fair, I'm not really sure that the demons knew the pigs were running into the sea. All they said was, can we go into the pigs? Jesus is like, yeah, sure, it's fine with me. You knock yourself out. And off they go. Uh, there were some New Testament scholars I was reading. The demons themselves, just so you know, they didn't drown. It's the pigs that drown. They were driven out by Jesus, and he knew that they were con- he was controlling them, and he knew that he was controlling their destiny. Here's the thing. It is possible that when they rushed into the lake, they rushed into what the book of Revelation would call the abyss. Which if you look at Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, this is the place of Satan's imprisonment. So it's like, all right, we want to be cast out into the hogs. Well, you can go into the hogs. Boom, they go into the sea. And Jesus is like, yeah, you didn't see that coming, did you? Now you're bound up. How do you like it? Now you're bound up just like before you were binding this man up. How do you like it? And here's the way, if you pick up in verse 15, uh, 14, here's the way this passage of Scripture ends. It says, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. By the way, you would too, right? It's like you hear a car accident, you're sitting in your home, you hear a car accident, and you're like, I don't know, I think I need to go take a look. You don't, you just do, right? And so this is the way they reply. Or the way they respond. And when they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed. What was he before? He's running around naked. He's dressed and he's in his right mind. And here's the response of this crowd. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. You gotta leave the pigs in there, right? And then the people began to plead with Jesus, pay attention to leave. Would you just leave? Now, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. After all, this is the first time that anybody has ever cared to intercede for him in a way that was going to help him. And Jesus liberated him. He says, can I go with you? And Jesus didn't let him go. Instead, it says, Jesus says, Go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now that's a pretty amazing narrative, isn't it? It's a pretty phenomenal story. When the people come out, this man physically looks different after he has been delivered. He physically looks different. On the one hand, he was running around naked. Now he's clothed. He was cutting himself and harming himself, and now he's at peace. And the people that had watched this man run around like this for so long look and say something incredible has happened to this guy. But what was their reaction? The people that were there look at Jesus and say, we'd like for you to go now. I don't know, folks. I look at that and I'm a little blown away by it. I mean, after all, if you see someone that has the power over the demonic and he's present with you, I'd kind of want to keep that guy around. But instead, they cast him out. And it made me wonder, why did they do that? Why did they say you're not welcome here? 
And the answer that most people would give is, is because he cast the hogs into the sea. They cared actually more about their money than they did the soul of a man. And so you don't need to be here. You need to get out. That's an indicting statement about these people, isn't it? What's more important, this man's soul or the hogs? And they answered. And just so you know, Jesus does get in the boat uh, because after all, he didn't stay in a place where he wasn't wanted. And so he left. But to the man, notice what he says. The man saying, can I come with you? And Jesus says, no, it's not what I want you to do. It's not what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to go home first. I want you to tell the people there that God's been good to you. And then second, I want you to go to the Decapolis. Notice what he just did. Jesus says, I want you to go and tell about me. That's what I want you to do. And so he does. He first goes home and he talks about it. And then he goes to the Decapolis, which means it's the 10 cities. He goes into the 10 cities and he starts to share, God has been merciful to me and God has delivered me. There are two challenges that I want to give you very simply this morning from this, this story. And I think that they're really simple. I think they're incredibly powerful and they're very important. And here's the first. The first is, I want you to haul your demons to the feet of Jesus and hand those things over to him. Because it's exactly what he did. Now, maybe your story is like, you know what? I don't find myself cutting myself like this guy did. I don't find myself running around acting insane like this guy did. Maybe not. Maybe they're just working differently in you. And if you were to take an honest look at the state of your soul, you could identify the strongholds, the place where in the back and in the quiet, they have basically put a rope around you and held you like this and said, this is a place that I'm not going to let go. Here's the good news. Jesus has authority over those strongholds. Take those to him, put them at his feet like this did man, follow his example and say, it's enough. It's enough. It's enough of being held back by this. It's enough of this kind of life. It's enough of the kind of damage that is brought to me and to everybody around me. It's enough. Because the story from Jesus, from him, but also the story of Jesus for you, is he will have the same mercy for you as he did for this guy. He will. You just got to take it to him. And here's the second. For those of you that have come to Jesus, the second lesson that you're supposed to take from this, my friends, is that you're supposed to do what this guy did and go tell everybody about what Jesus has done for you. Go to your home, go to the city, but by all means, go. So maybe you haven't been delivered from legion, but for those of you that know Jesus, here's one thing I do know, you have been delivered from sin. And that is something that is worth telling people about because sin is what holds us back. And maybe it's time by what witness you give to somebody else that somebody else gets freed from sin, what's holding them back from knowing the Lord and knowing his salvation. Two simple messages. Haul your demons to him, watch him forgive, set you free, and then tell somebody. What a great story. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.